So I started studying psychology and neuro-linguistic programming and neuroscience. And I just became fascinated by that world of, of how to improve our sense of purpose. By the time I was 35, I was burnt out. I, I, I went on a two week course in the Himalayas in India to study some more NLP. I help people with four things. I help people with our emotional legacy, with their intention, their, you know, their deepest value. Uh, the second thing is I help audiences with is their purpose. The third is their identity. In other words, helping people realize their unique talents. And as a foundation of this work, I work with people on their beliefs and values. We must connect to the fact that we don't, we mustn't step into nature. We are nature. Hmm. This is another journey and I'd love to explore it with you. And, and um, spending some time talking to you, I know I can, I just feel I can talk to you about all sorts of stuff. You know, seven years ago, I became a vegan. So I'd love all of us to go plant-based and I'm a huge advocate of Obviously, that. if we are all animals, is not just part of our makeup of being an animal, obviously being a meat eater, but as long as we can sustain that. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, would you like to sort of start by telling the listeners a little bit about your background and how you started and, and what is it, what you do? Thank you, Frankie. Thank you so much for having me here. And um, it might be prevalent for me to give you a little bit of a potted history as to my life. I'll, I'll make it short so I don't bore no. you too much. No, you're all right. You make it as long um, as you like. <laughs> no, no, no. Just give you a couple of minutes uh, just to frame things. So I am um, 49 years of age. I was born in South Africa in 1973. I emigrated in 1977 when I was four years old. My parents, my dad was a constitutional lawyer. My mom was a social worker in South Africa. And they both struggled, I think, with the situation in the 70s in South Africa with regards to the apartheid. And, uh, you know, they very much, they were founded in their values of equality. And I, so I think they really struggled with what was going on in South Africa. And they chose to bring myself and my brother to the UK. Uh, and we settled in Surrey. And I did some business diplomas when I finished school. And then I went on the road as a foot soldier selling capital equipment to homes and businesses and shops and industries so all the security cameras and burger alarms and stuff like that and that was a real baptism by fire for me because I'd never been in sales you know my first job was like when I was a kid was in Debenhams and I just saw the pound signs when I was like 19 and went right into capital sales and uh, then I in my mid-20s I got involved in the corporate world which uh, taught me a huge amount and I was very fortunate to have some great people around me and I realized that my only true gift Frankie in the world of business was in communication because I was inspiring a lot of the sales guys I was um, they were good enough to promote me to sales manager of London for, for this company that was an international logistics company TNT International with the orange and white lorries um, <laughs> And we were selling document traffic around the world. And I wasn't very good at the strategy side or the tactical implementation, but I was great at inspiring salespeople. And so when I got to 29, I realized that my gift was really in sales seminars and developing people's skills and talents. And so I, my first ever speech, if you like, was when I was 29, I put 23 guys in the room 
for 99 pounds a head and they seem to have a great day we did a one day workshop and they seem to get a lot out of it and so I had no idea at the time that professional speaking existed I've been in the corporate world and all of our training was internal we didn't have you know all these international speakers to watch and when I was in the corporate world and so I was very fortunate. I found myself on the European conference circuit when I was 29 and I was focused purely on sales development. So I used to speak on how to plan and prepare, how to introduce yourself, how to ask great questions, how to present with integrity and power, how to build a pipeline, how to close business. So my first couple of years as a speaker in my early 30s was focused purely on sales development. And then I started following great speakers from around the world. I, I was reading about Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen and Zieg Ziegler. And I went to see Anthony Robbins speak and all these people, Deepak Chopra. And, and in my early 30s, I became a voracious reader. And I really dived in to the world of emotional need psychology. And I became really interested in how we tick inside. So all of my 20s, Frankie, was about skills. It was about, you know, how I started studying psychology and neuro-linguistic programming and neuroscience. And I just became fascinated by that world of, of how to improve our sense of purpose and our identity and look for our deep talents and our beliefs and our values. And I just loved that work. And... So I just started speaking a heck of a lot. In my early 30s, I was speaking at about 100 conferences a year. And by the time I was 35, I was burnt out. I was knackered. I, I just, I'd been on the road for five years and nearly six years, I guess, because I started when I was 29. So I'd been on the road for six years. And uh, my wife, Sarah, and my my two little kids at the time were like five and two years of age and I wasn't seeing them and I was just up and down the M6 the M1 on a plane to France whatever and I, I was just working too hard and so I lost my voice three times and I got really tired and I just I just stopped for a minute when I was 35 and I just suddenly realized that all I was doing was working and I was really fortunate because I I went on a two-week course in the Himalayas in India to study some more NLP. And when I was there, I met a lady called Satya, who is, she's half Indian, half English lady. And she'd spent about a month working with indigenous communities in the heart of the Ecuadorian forest, in the heart of the Amazon. And she came back from this four week excursion to the Amazon and we met up with her and she changed like, you know, uh, you know, I met her in India and then she went off and, and spent some time in the Amazon. And when I had a coffee with her, when she got back from the Amazon, her eyes were like glistening. And she said, she said to some of us, you guys have to see this. You have to visit this amazing community in the heart of the Amazon. And so I was fortunate enough to go over there to the Amazon, to Ecuador for one week. And frankly, I was 35 years of age and I just had never been to a place like this. It was, it was so profound because 
you know, I was meeting 70 year olds in this community that has never seen a motor car. These guys have never seen a car. They'd never seen a television set. You know, they, they haven't got any mobile phones. They didn't have Wi-Fi or anything. And they just lived in a shamanic practice every day. And they lived with the forest as part of the forest. It's not, they weren't in nature. They are nature. They're plants themselves. They're, they're part of the evolution of our natural planet, these guys. I know we are, but we've kind of separated ourselves from it. And these guys are immersed in this way of life. And this really struck me. And I spent lots of time just sitting with the trees, like hours and hours and hours meditating and sitting with the trees. And I sat in front of a, an amazing tree called a kapok, which as far as the indigenous people of Ecuador are concerned, it's the most spiritual tree in the Amazon forest. And with regards to its size, it's the second largest tree in the world behind the Sequoia Redwood in California. And this tree is deeply spiritual, so much so that the Atuar communities often scatter the elders' ashes when they die inside this tree. And it just, I was just weeping in front of this tree and and to backtrack just for a second, my mum passed away when I was 18 years of age. And when mum died, I, I didn't deal with mum's death at all well. Uh, you know, I was, I suppose, at 18, it's quite a tough time mm. to lose mum. And I just, I think what I did in, in my 20s was I just said that that's not happening. Mum's not dead. And I just got on with my work. And then when I was 35 in the Amazon, I was found the courage to reconnect to mom and think about her life and her legacy because she was a social worker and she was very involved in charitable causes and she was a Nichiren Buddhist so she was she used to meditate for hours and hours and hours and so in my late teens I grew up in a house with you know a gahonzan and chanting all the time very spiritual house and so I came home from the Amazon and I started talking to my dad about mum's legacy and that I really wanted to do, fulfill a deeper purpose on the planet. Not that my speaking wasn't fulfilling a purpose. It was just that I really have a calling to Africa. That's where I was born. And, and I just felt that I wanted subconsciously, I think at the time, I wanted to carry on mum's mom's journey, mum's legacy a little bit. And so there's a longer story behind this, but basically um, when I came back from the Amazon to the UK, I started investigating how I could help out a little bit in Africa. And I met an amazing guy from a country called Burkina Faso, which is a country that's sub-Saharan and it's landlocked. It's, it's a small country in West Africa. And when you look at the, the Human Development Index laid out by the United Nations, Burkina Faso at the time was the second poorest country in the world. And so it was a really poor place physically, but spiritually it was so rich. It's like when you visit Burkina Faso, the people are just, you know, when you go to these amazing countries and people have nothing physically, they've got no money, but they're so rich. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, such a huge heart. And so I said to a guy who I met in London, who is this Birkinabi guy called Philippe, said, how can I help you? Because I went over to Burkina Faso for a week and I've never seen poverty like it. I came back 
And I said, how can I help you? He said, build me a school, build me a school building. I said, well, I, how the hell do I do that? I was so green, Frankie. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. <laughs> and I, I was very lucky. I found an architectural charity in London called Article 25, who were world-class at building schools, hospitals, and homes in the developing world with vernacular architecture that can support the children to live in a safe environment. And these guys were very kind enough to back me. And so the short story is that we built a school for 800 children in the north of Burkina Faso. And we created, um, so there were some ladies that joined the charity that were much better at running a charity than I was. So I ran it for the first few years and then the ladies took over and really built the projects and they helped the kids with sewing and farming and they created a food program. And so they did a great job and that allowed me to go back to speaking. So if we fast forward to today, I've now been speaking for 20 years on the conference circuit and it's been a transition like a positive transition from sales skills to human potential to deeper emotional need psychology to spiritual wealth. And so today I help people with four things. I help people with our emotional legacy, with their intention, their, you know, their deepest value. I, the second thing is I help audiences with is their purpose. The third is their identity. In other words, helping people realize their unique talents. And as a foundation of this work, I work with people on their beliefs and values. So now that I've given you that introduction, it wasn't so short after all, was it? I went on and on and on. But that's that's my life story, really. So it's incredible. So fascinating. So much resonates with me as well because, uh, like yourself, I started in sales, um, and then I started this podcast just purely because I am so. Uh, intrigued with what makes people tick and and yes. with brains and their emotions and, and why they are what they are and and as I, I believe i said to you on the phone when we first spoke about doing the podcast like we're all we're all the same we're all made up the same but some people end up doing things what are greater than other people they're not special who do them we're just what can can get into the hard wiring of the brain and and make sure that we can uh, like they can do things what other people may think is is impossible. So I'm so I'm, I'm fascinated by understanding why people have that different mindset. Um, and then like yourself, I I've been going on quite a not not massively spiritual journey, but trying to like scratch the surface um, on that journey as well. And again, like if you look at sort of any any natives to any sort of land like the aboriginals or or native americans or things like that i think what they can teach us in today's society is is so much more than what we could learn out of a book or anything like that i, I do really believe like obviously I'm, i've never sort of really looked into um the, the natives in the amazon so much or, or sort of natives in africa and things like that but more uh, aboriginals and uh, native americans i find it so fascinating like as you said, they're just they are the land. Like they're they're born from the land, they die in the land, and then they they live within that land the whole time. Well, I think we've we've lost so much connection to nowadays, and I feel like that's a huge problem. Um, why people, as you said, don't don't know their purpose or don't understand um, what to do in life anymore? Because we've had as a civilization, we've gone through thousands of years of living 
primitively and from the land. And now we've got lovely TVs and lovely cars and lovely houses and don't walk barefoot and don't really feel the sun on our face because we're in an office all day. And it's like a big divide between what's deep set inside you, what makes us happy as a civilization, and then what now modern society tells us makes us happy in our heads. And there's a divide there. And I think we're in a, a point of time where um, it's it's a struggle. It is a huge struggle. And I think more and more people now are sort of turning towards like, spirituality to try and understand why they're feeling their emotions and, and why they're struggling so much. I, I think you've explained it with great clarity. And that's exactly mm -hmm. what's what's happening. And I spend... For me, that's exactly what's happening. And I spend a lot of time exploring this. And, you know, sometimes I explore this and feel low and uh, about it because, mm -hmm. you know, I went to a wonderful film viewing the other night of an amazing film that was narrated by Kate Winslet and it's called Eating Our Way to Extinction and it's all about you know the way in which environmental sustainability is being so challenged and the way that we're treating the planet um, and sometimes it does impact me in a negative way and I get low about you know media stimulation the way in which we're living in much more of an artificial environment and we're apparently losing our roots our spiritual roots as you say and we're becoming disparate we're not in a deep community anymore we walk down the road and we don't know the person living next to us or the flat or the house next door and we you know so i think what you're you're saying holds an awful lot of weight and then i get to a place uh, which is a different view, which is everything's unfolding as it should. And, you know, the evolution we're living, you know, every single one of us in the UK, um, well, not every single one, but almost all of us, I suppose, um, whether we're living and we're really struggling financially or emotionally, we're all living better than the kings and queens of England did 200 years ago. I mean, it's absolutely incredible what's happened to the planet and the the opportunities that we have just in front of us at our fingertips. Um, and at the same time, Frankie, you, for me, you've hit the nail on the head is that we've lost our balance. And, um, you know, it's wonderful to be able to have balance in our lives and to be able to say, both sides of the coin are valuable. And so my truth now is to embrace all of life. Is, you know, I used to find myself saying, this is terrible, we're ruining the planet. You know, we must switch off all the computers. We've got to stop this. We've got to stop growing and building businesses as if that was going to happen. But that used to be part of my rhetoric for a time. And now, you know, I've woken up to the fact that I feel that there's so much abundance here that Facebook isn't a bad thing. Twitter isn't a bad thing. LinkedIn isn't a bad thing. It's how we interact with these systems. 
it's computers are genius. I mean, they're allowing us to speak this evening and get our, our thoughts and our messages out. And it's an amazing thing. And for the kids to have an opportunity to be able to get on an aeroplane. And I mean, it's amazing. And at the same time, we have to walk in nature and we have to be barefoot and we have to meditate and we we must connect to the fact that we don't we mustn't step into nature we are nature mm. we're we're animals we're no you know i've this is another journey and i'd love to explore it with you and and um spending some time talking to you i know i can i just feel i can talk to you about all sorts of stuff <laughs> is that you know seven years ago i became a vegan and that's quite a big step for uh you know a 43-year-old South African meat eater. I mean, do you know what I mean? It's like meat was a religion to me. Complete opposite. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, and I I watched all these films like Cowspiracy and What the Health and, you know, all these game changers and the books like How Not to Die and The China Study. And, you know... For me, it's clear that we I'm not saying that we all have to eat a certain way because it's not my, I'd love everybody to be vegan. I'd love everybody to be plant-based because I feel it's a massive, massive piece as far as, you know, our the environmental crisis is the huge piece is how we're you know cattle farming and destroying the forests and so i'd love all of us to go plant-based and i'm a huge advocate of that at the same time i think judgment doesn't help and if you point fingers you know i ate meat for 43 years so who the hell am i to go to somebody else and say you've got to stop they say did you eat meat for 43 years and i did so i can't tell anybody else what to do with their lives but I, you know, for me, it was an amazing decision to be able to go plant-based. Mm. And so there's little decisions that turn into big decisions like that, that I think that can really rebalance our bodies, rebalance our connection with nature and connection, because we're just animals. And being able to walk in the woods, you know, I, I sometimes go off and I walk the dogs most days and and there's nobody there. They're all in front of their computers. So you're right. We do need more of a balance. So, so I I'm not not a vegan. Um, in fact, I'm I'm probably like how you was. I'm I'm the complete opposite. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm completely respectful. My mum's a my mum's a vegetarian, but more out of health reasons. But she's okay. a, a vegetarian. So I've been brought up around around that sort of life as well. But if I was actually having this conversation the other day with somebody, so obviously if we are all animals. Is not just part of our makeup of being an animal, obviously being a meat eater, but as long as we can sustain that. So I, I for myself, I believe if I go to McDonald's and I get processed meat, disgusting for my body, disgusting for um for, for the environment, it's it's not it's not great for anyone, obviously just lying in the pockets of, of McDonald's itself. But if I go say to a butcher's and, and that particular thing is cult and that particular thing's et just for myself or if i did live in america i would go out hunting for that particular animal so I, that would be the only thing i ate um like wh wh where are your thoughts on that because 
obviously, as I we are animals. It's like, obviously, a lion. This is going to be a really poor argument, to be honest with you. But, like, a, say, like a lion, they are predominantly a meat, well, they are a meat eater. We were sort of gone through our society as always eating meat. So then why change? Um, well, where where is the benefits of, of changing? But I think we need to try and more educate people around eating the correct type of meat and not overfishing, not over farming and, and the education of being more sustainable with it rather than cut it out. Do you get, do you see what I mean? So, um, I, it's interesting where our conversation has gone because I, (laughs) (laughs) and, um, my sense is, Frankie is that as I shared five ten minutes ago is for me to stand on a soapbox and to say to everybody you can't do this Mm. you cannot do this um you just turn people off yeah you know if I start preaching to you that you have to eat this way you know all I'll do is I'll push people more to eat meat not less Mm. I'm very aware that I don't want to stand on my soapbox. No, no, of course. I just it, just picking no, the wire. No, 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 no. But I'm I'm just sharing that because mm. the way to support people to eat less meat or fish is to like we are is to have a great conversation. And I really thank you mm. for the question. So with all of the studies that have now been done over the last 40 years, there's very conclusive evidence in a few different major areas. So let me share a couple of minutes on this. Yeah, go. Um, the first thing is, is that we derive from eating meat and in many, many generations and centuries gone by, we only lived till we were 25 years of age. And we weren't educated in the way that we could eat 100 years ago. There wasn't this education. The second thing is, is that we have destroyed the soil. And so what that means is in a huge percentage of animals that are roaming our lands, as an example, are eating pesticides, wherever you get it from a butcher. And if you look at the acidic content within these meats, it's highly poisonous stuff sometimes, particularly in the mercury in the sea with fish. And so there's it's very, very difficult for the meat to be healthy anymore. As an example, we've ripped a lot of vitamins and minerals out of the soils in the entire earth. And so what that means is that the animals aren't being fed in a way that is conducive to that particular focus. That's the first thing. The second thing is these days there's been huge amounts of research Um, And one of the best uh, research projects ever run was with an organization um, who looked at something called the Blue Zones. Have you heard of Blue Zones? No, I think so. There's There's five different communities around the world that are very famous for living the longest. Uh, Yes, I have heard of the Blue Zones. Okay, you've heard of the Blue Zones, Yeah. yeah. And... They don't just have one or two people who become centenarians, you know, live over 100. But most of them do. I mean, it's just phenomenal difference, right, Mm -hmm. these communities. And 
So they've studied in great detail now how all of these different communities, all these people that are living a long time, when you look at the the percentages of the number of people in these communities that live a very healthy life and a long life. And almost invariably, all these people are plant-based. They're not meat eaters and never have been. That said, it doesn't mean that that's conclusive yeah. because there's people in the world that live to 110 and have eaten steak every day. Do you know what I mean? So, 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 but on percentage, we now know with heart disease and all the different illnesses that it's now being proved that if you're plant-based, you, you tend to, I should say tend because I'm not a nutritionist. So I'm just putting it out there. This is what I've read and heard is that, that we tend to live longer. Um, the third element really is a spiritual one. And my belief is, I can't prove this, Frankie, <laughs> so this is a belief, is, you know, when most of these animals are killed, they know they're going to be killed because they're screaming and they're hurt and they're treated badly, even with cows that are free rain all the time, some of them are, are hurt. And I think when we're then eating fear, you know, when we kill something. Um, and I'll, I'll, I won't go on too much more, except I'll give you one more thing. And I don't know if this has been too much or not enough or no. from your question. But we now look at people like Lewis Hamilton and Schwarzenegger that started to change his methods and the Williams sisters and different people. And I look at how I feel in my body for the last seven years with my energetic self, as opposed to when I was a meat eater and the energy difference and my digestion and everything feels so much more light, so much more powerful than it was before. And I think providing, this is a huge providing. Okay. This is a big piece is if we've got the money to buy good vegetables, okay? I know they're expensive. So if we've got the money, if we've got the time, because a lot of people, and this might be an excuse, so there's probably vegans listening to this saying, Craig, that's not the case. I've got no time and I'm still a good plant-based, still healthy mm. as a plant-based eater. But you've got to make sure you're getting 30, 40 different plant types a week. So like you said, thank you, it's hard to be a healthy whole plant-based eater and grab a sandwich at Tesco's. It's not going to work, right? Mm. You've got to pay your own food and everything else. So those are three, four elements that I think for me are quite conclusive about why we should be plant-based in this particular era. So there you go, mate. That's my ten pence. No, 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 no. It's all good. So I just wanted to pick up on your uh, the first element. So you obviously said the, the what the animals are eating was uh, obviously full of pesticides because of the soil and everything like that. But then does that not on the flip side be the same for the plants? So the plants, what we're eating, uh, vegetables and fruit, what are being grown, it's the same thing, right? It's 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 going through that same sort of soil. It's got the same pesticides in it. So again, we, the same kind of toxins, um, so to speak um yeah so that's and well yes and i suppose that this is where the money comes in mm. is if 
you are going to farm shops and growing your own or you're getting high quality vegetables um, then and you're taking your vitamins and you're taking your minerals and all of this kind of stuff, then you're eating a much better diet mm. for you. If we're going and we're eating, you're absolutely right. If we go and eat plastic out of certain supermarkets, um, then there is an impact. Absolutely. We're using chemicals wherever we look. Yeah. Um, and the other piece is with the meat is that these animals, we don't know what diseases and illnesses they're carrying when they're killed. And so when you look at the acidic substances inside these animals after they're killed, that piece of meat, mm. um, some people call it rotting flesh, which isn't very nice. But the reality is that we are eating all of the illnesses that those animals have picked up. And there's very few illnesses and uh, that the, I think, you know, an animal in those kind of conditions I'm not sure how healthy all of them are, but I mean, this is a mm. this is a subject. What I'd like to say at this stage, because I am only passing on what I understand and what I feel like in my body, mm. and so there's two wonderful books that and Blue Zones. So I'll give three different things because I'm getting into an area here, Frankie which I'm not an expert. In. Yeah, same, same. Just, I'll just enjoy so, yeah, the uh, yeah, conversation. It's important <laughs> because this is going out, as yeah. you know, this is going out to people and I don't want to, because, I, I, you know, it's great to talk about my leadership, personal development work, because I, I'm an expert in that. Yeah. But I'm loving this. I'm loving having the conversation. So I just, if I could, yeah, I cool. just wanted to footnote um, a couple of resources so people can make their own minds up. Yeah because I'm I'm not an expert in this field. Um, so the first is a book called The China Study. It's called The China Study. The second is a book called How Not to Die. Um, and the third one, actually, uh, if I can actually share some documentaries, there's a documentary called Eating Our Way to Extinction, and it gives us, narrated by Kate Winslet, and, and it's just come out, so it's, it's got all the modern day facts. It's not like 10 years old. Mm -hmm. So it's called Eating Our Way to Extinction. And if anybody watches that film, it will give them concrete evidence and facts from people like WWF and the Nature Conservancy and huge organizations, charities that have done enormous amount of empirical research into what is going on with foodstuffs and what's going on with our planet as a whole. So I just wanted to footnote that because, yeah, nice. I, because I feel that otherwise I'm getting into areas which, which I'm not an expert. So no, it's, it's great to talk to you about it, mate, because I'm passionate as well. And I know everybody's got their own choice, mm. um, but I I feel great. And I the last thing I should say, if I may, is that let your body decide. Yes. In other yeah, words, if, yeah. So if you, you, if you give whole plant-based eating, a couple of months mm. so you your system adjusts right you can't give it two days yeah. and say no i don't feel good but if you give it a couple of months mm. and let 
your hydration and your pH values and everything inside your body equalize and your digestion change, then I think most people will find that they, by eating a whole plant-based diet, they've got much more energy, much more vitality. They can think clearer, more clarity of mind and thought, and they feel vital and ethically they'll probably feel great. So that's it. I'm done. I, uh, yeah, just to end on that, I, I do completely agree with you. You got, uh, you got to give it a go yourself. Um, yeah, and like I said, don't judge, yeah, don't judge anybody else for what they think. Everybody is no. different. So I might go on a plant-based diet and, and feel absolutely awful. I might go on a carnival diet and feel the best I've ever did. Or I could be the complete opposite and then end up going vegan that's and it. preach to the top of the mountains. But yeah, no, a hundred percent. I, I, I do, <laughs> do pretty agree. You have to give it a go yourself. Um, that's and it, it, isn't it? And, and that's why these, yeah, that's why these conversations are brilliant because I'm, I'm unfortunately not going to change my views. You're not going to change your views, but there might be someone watching this on the fence, yeah. Who then go give it a go, and then they they know yeah. sort of what way they want to, yeah. Wanna turn. And, and yeah, definitely. And and I think they've got to give it a couple of months. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't think somebody can give it a week. No, it's like going to the gym oh, for a week. Work, didn't work for me. Um, because you're detoxing, it's like a hangover after alcohol, right? Mm. The next morning you wake up with a hangover, it's like you've got to get certain acids changed out of your system. Mm. Um, but the the thing that's definite now in the world, whether what we've been talking about is something slightly different, is the way that we're mass farming animals is destroying the planet. Disgusting. I think anyone, everyone can can agree with yeah. that meat eaters and and obviously vegan yeah, yeah. is yeah. especially the the sea spiracy one that's yeah. really open yeah. my eyes it's absolutely disgusting and that's what i said i think if we can go back to sustainable meat eating i, I wouldn't feel bad in the slightest for yeah. like being a meat eater is seeing scenes like that in the wet markets and it's it's not just destroying the world it's just it's disgusting of humanity to even think that that's appropriate for another life to be treated that way yeah, but, um, yeah. let's get back on to to your speciality <laughs> <laughs> so um what was it like so do you remember much of south africa at all do i remember much of south africa at all i do i do remember because i was very fortunate to go back quite a lot mm. and so i i used to go back every year and now I go back every two or three years. So do you think um, that that kind of way of life and, and obviously South Africa's I've never been, but I've heard it's absolutely beautiful. It's, I mean, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I, I can, I can imagine it's just, you just feel open space and feel like your mentality probably expands just being there because you're not cramped up and walking along the streets or not nine 50 other people you you walk past but do you think that's helped you with your spirit spirituality like knowing that's your background and that your your parents were obviously brought up there um and having that uh sort of in your dna as, as you've grown up really i really appreciate the question and i think um it's it's an enormous part it, it's an enormous part because here's another belief and you're very good at asking these questions. Um, I understand that Africa is the cradle of mankind in a way that we're all Africans. Yeah. We all originated from Africa, apparently. And 
when we visit and i say africa frankly i mean it's apparently 54 countries i mean it's you know i talk about it like it's one place it's 2100 dialects and mm -hmm. you know an enormous amount of tribes and you know so it, it's it's just a, an amazing melting pot you know of of life and africa's so diverse mm. but, you know for me when you go anywhere in africa there's i can't explain it very well in language but there's a deep authenticity to the soil to the land to people to people's smiles to their song to their dance to their tribal roots, to their communities. And, you know, there's so many other places in the world that are the same. Of course, you mentioned earlier the Aboriginals and the actual communities, the Shuar communities, the Native uh, American guys. There's so many different, the Maoris, there's so many different Indigenous people all over the world. And my spiritual homeland is 100% Africa. It's you know, you can go into an environment in Africa, say West Africa and Burkina Faso, as an example. And you can walk into a village that is five hours flight from Paris. So if me and you got on a plane now, we'd be there at breakfast time. Mm. You can go into a village there that hasn't changed in 2000 years, you know, and there's no roads to these villages. And you can sit with these guys and they have nothing. I mean, they... They haven't got a pound a day. I mean, they haven't got a pot to piss in physically. And these guys are so rich. I mean, they sing all day and they dance and they express themselves and and they look after each other. I'll tell you a quick story in a minute. But before I do, I just wanted to say that the time where in Africa where spirituality goes away is when people can't eat. Mm you get to a level of poverty where you can't eat and you can't you don't have any medicine and you're sick then the spirituality isn't there like you can go to a village in africa where people are very ill and they're malnourished and they've got no clean water and that that's not what i'm referring to because that's a very difficult environment and those people are the most beautiful people but they're struggling, they're suffering. They're in survival mode. There's no time. They're for... in survival mode. Yeah. When you walk a thousand yards or get in a car and go five minutes down the track, you get to another village where they do have fresh water and they have some food and they're farming well. And these guys will live and die for each other. I was in the north of Burkina Faso about eight years ago. And I met a guy called Jack. And he's this enormous guy. He's like six foot three and I'm little, I'm five foot eight. And he didn't know who I was. He, he knew I was visiting the community. And this guy gave me this enormous bear hug and he just grabbed me and he had this enormous smile. And he started talking to me about what we're doing here in the community and lovely man. I mean, just full of love. And and I said to him, I love your suit because he had this multicolored suit, like 20 or 30 different colored suit, all the beautiful cloth. He didn't have much money, but he had this suit beautifully, you know, uh, ironed and pressed and he looked really good. And I said, I love your suit. It's great. Just the colors. And so he said, thank you so much. And we went our separate ways. 
And then about two days later, I traveled to the city of Wagadougou down in the south. It's about a couple of hundred kilometers from where I was in the north. And I was with my uh, partner, the charity partner, and a moped came towards us. And it had a little brown plastic bag. And inside that plastic bag was his suit. And he'd sent somebody for 200 kilometers. And he said, this is from Jacques. He wanted you to have his suit. Now, I, I said to the guy, I like love your suit. So he's given me a suit. This guy had one, I'm sure, max, maximum two suits in his life. He gave me his suit because I said I liked it. And that's, you know, I think Africa has the most love mm. and it has the most difficulty all at the same time. It's like a place of extremes. It's got this enormous love and this enormous hate or difficulty. And it's kind of like Africa's real. It's not hiding. It's just like there. It's like I've, I'm here. I'm, I've been here longer than you have. Yeah. And I know about life. And and so it's just this huge boiling pot, and it's just an amazing bloody place. My old man was uh, in the merchant navy, and he so he, he sailed all around the world. But one of the places he used to go was was Africa, uh, Kenya. And then when they used to get to the docks and things like that, they that a lot of the local tribesmen used to help them unload everything. Um, uh, obviously, just sort of like cheap local labour kind of thing, and then. Every now and again, they'll try and sort of nick a few bits and pieces also because they didn't really have much. And a lot yeah. of the other guys on the ship would sort of like try and like, well, we have got them, um, chase them away, get rid of them, things like that. My old man used to put all the broken bits aside or the bits that weren't as good, but still they, they wanted. So he used to put loads of stuff aside for them. They got go and have that, go and nick that and all that. And they used to take loads. Stuff that they couldn't sell, which could be chucked away. But to them, that was obviously like gold to them kind of thing so valuable yeah 100% so they um uh, this this particular tribe I don't, I don't know what the tribe was called but this particular tribe invited my dad as an honorary chief um in their tribe and he said he spent a night with them eating like feasts and they had this like uh uh alcohol type thing made from bark but it paralyzed you from the waist down and what they used to do they used to boil it and it used to be like a ceremonial type thing and you used to take a sip and you obviously you'd be paralyzed from the waist down until that was finished. So you all sit in this circle in this ceremonial type thing, but no one could leave until it was all drunk and and like you could get the feelings back again. And my old man said he he never forget like he just said it was the most incredible thing in the world because they accepted him like their own. He was with them all yeah. night laughing. So they, they couldn't yes. really talk English. He couldn't really talk their language. They went on to become family for, for the night. And Absolutely. He, he always says like, Africa was one of the, the best places he's he's ever yeah. been on in terms of people. Absolutely loved it. And I'd, I'd love to go. I really would. You must. You really must. It, mm. It's, as you can tell from my explanations, it's, there's a great saying that I heard from a friend of mine many years ago, um, a guy called Nigel Risner, who said, to know and not to do is not yet to know. Mm. So in other words, until you've experienced something, you know, I can see your dad sitting there and I can, I can understand what he went through, but I, I can't 
really feel it like he did. And that's mm. life, isn't it? We learn from our experiences. And so I can't describe Africa. It's like seeing a sunset and describing it to somebody who's never seen it. It's like, all you can say is it's beautiful and it's not enough. Mm. It's like the feeling is that, it's like describe an amazing kiss. You can't, you can't describe it unless you feel it. And it's like being in love and it's, it's visceral it's and africa's like that it it you can't really for me anyway it's hard to describe the beauty and attenborough actually got very close because of his ability to communicate but i think attenborough said there's nowhere like africa 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 puts on the greatest show on earth mm. it does because it's you know it's animals and it's you know, it's biodiversity and it's rivers and oceans and mountains and it's just got it all. And so I really appreciate the question and I really appreciate talking about it because I think it's such a special place. Uh, so I want to ask you about the, the trips to the um, Ecuadorian uh, Amazon. But, yes. But but why why do you not do them in Africa? Is there, is there no in Africa where you could get the same type of uh, things from? Yeah, so there is in a way. So I've taken about eight or nine groups to Africa. So we've been to Africa many times as well. Uh, I've taken people to West Africa and East Africa, and I've spent lots of time taking people to South Africa. Um, these days, there's a few things about the Amazon that are completely unique. So... The first thing about the Amazon forest is, and there may be places like this in Africa, I haven't found them, is that Africa, the, uh, sorry, in the Amazon, these guys actually live as plants. They have a shamanic practice and they're a dream nation whereby they are so at one with the, with the forest. And they i'll give you an example when we were there in the summer i got we were playing football actually with the community and i got lots of grit in my eye and the guy goes into the forest and he comes back with a leaf and he rubs the leaf on my eyeball and all the grit's gone and then when you're suffering with with uh, you breathing or your lungs are sore there's another plant that they rub, the, the deepest wild garlic in the world, and you inhale it and you clear your whole system. So in other words, the Amazon is a pharmacy. Mm. I don't know what percentage our medicines come from the Amazon, but it's huge. So six, I'm going to say 50, 60, don't quote me, but 50, 60, 70% of our medicines in the world come from the Amazon forest. So for us to understand the power of plants, I've never found that in Africa. Mm. So to be able to walk around with the actual people and he said, that supports you with flu, that supports you with, with a temperature, that supports you um, when you've got bad breathing, that supports you in your heart. That, and it works, it's, it's in boots, it ends up in boots on the shelf, but it's natural. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that I think the Amazon's not going to be there in a minute. 
in this way. We're knocking it down very fast. Mm. And so it's one of those things that I, I, I'm not sure our grandchildren are going to get a chance to go to the Amazon. And thirdly, I think where I go in the Amazon, there's two countries out of the nine that have the most pristine rainforest, and that is Bolivia and Ecuador. And so we go to Ecuador and it's the richest biodiverse place on the planet, more than Africa. So again, another statement, not a fact, another statement that I've heard, so I can't be quoted on it, I don't know if it's definite, is, you know, that if you take a square mile of this environment in the Amazon, it's more biodiverse than half of the United States of America, that one square mile. Mm. So there's parts of the Amazon forest that like this place in Ecuador that I take people to that is so deafening. Frank, you lie there at night and you can't sleep because the birds are so loud. And I can't find that anywhere else in the world. No. So, 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 and it is mystical. You know, you arrive on the Amazon River and people just lose their breath because it's so beautiful. Um, and Africa does have places as, but not with all of that that I've found woven in. So I think the Amazon that nowhere else has in the world and, and it is just an amazing spiritual adventure and i it it's very sad for me to say this and i this is in africa still mm. but i've never found i found the beauty in south africa like the amazon but i haven't found the tribe as well and the medicinal plants and everything all in the same place yeah you can go to the forests in africa but the communities are over here do you know what i mean it's not all in one place. Yeah, no, I get you. Um, oh, you're frozen. You still there? Yeah. Um, no, no, I, I get you completely. We, um, I, I done a month in in Australia. Uh, 2018 now. Oh, have I? Are you still there? You got, yeah, you good. Um, yeah, I done I done a month in Australia uh, in 2018. And uh, it wasn't a, a backpacking kind of thing. It was me and my partner. We stayed in lovely hotels and see the best places and at the best places. Really, really great. But yes. we done a lot of tours of um, obviously the forests and 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 uh, the the natural parks and everything there. And one of them, it reminded me when you said this. So we was walking through with a, a couple of uh, they weren't aborigines but they they lived and worked alongside the aborigines their whole life so they they knew the forest inside and out yeah. and uh he, he, this guy picked up this um insect and he said smell that and it was just peppermint it just smelled peppermint and it was like the the, the strongest smell of peppermint yeah. they ever smelled it was the only place in the world this and he said this is purpose for something like medicinal um and then he picked up an, an ant and went to me lick that i went what but lick that I licked the the ant, and it uh, yeah, tastes yeah, yeah. tastes like like very citrusy. And so what they do is yes. they get like a big spider cobweb kind of thing. They roll it up around 
like stick. They get these ants, swipe it up, put leaves around it, crush it, crush it, crush it. And they, they breathe it in. And that's like our Vic stick. That gets rid of all your congestion and things like that. Yes. And yeah. I'm, yes. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't take tablets. I don't take paracetamol. I don't take any um, sort of man-made medicine at all. Um, unless you know, I'm in a real bad way. But I, I just think everything, as you said, everything was at every illness the human body can have, there's there's an answer for it in nature somewhere. But we've come so far away from them answers that we then create man-made pills and medicines to do exactly the same thing yes. as probably what is already out there uh, already. Yeah. And again, that's why I'm fascinated with sort of like the Aboriginal culture because it sounds very, very similar to um the the, yes. the cultures in, in the amazon absolutely yeah and uh, and sorry no but no i was gonna say frankie that you know and everybody knows that this is complicated stuff it's complex because we're when you look at neuroscience and we, we look at how we're creatures of conditioning is that I've created a system um, around our beliefs whereby we start with a level of evolution. So our brains evolve. And then we have what's called sensory acuity where we have an experience internally through something we see, something we feel, something we hear or taste or smell. And then that, information from that leaf that you smelt or from that fly that you tasted that insect you have an experience a sensory experience you can see it you can feel it in your hands you can taste it you have a multi-sensory experience that then goes through your conscious mind through your analytical mind and gets stored in your subconscious mind and when you when you have this experience for the first time you form what they call a neuro pathway and that neuro pathway then invites very special learning cells called neurons to come and learn about the thought you've just had and the more that you have the same thought the more that that neuro pathway thickens and so more neurons come and learn about that thought and you create that thought over and over and over and over again in your head until such time that lots a lot of the time we have what they call a primary thought 30 40 50 times every day we have the same thought and then you know what happens that thought becomes a belief it becomes true and so if we were taught something when we were six years old and we were taught it over and over and over and over again by our parents or by a school teacher our brain, after a number of times, starts to see that thought as absolutely true. And it becomes a hardwired belief in our brain. And so the reason why I'm telling you all of this is we've been so conditioned that we need the next pair of trainers and we need a hundred grand and we need a new house and we need a new car and we need, 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 need. We've been so hardwired into this environment that it's complex 
to be able to say to everybody, let's really live with nature now. Let's stop this. And we're kind of on a treadmill that is gathering speed. Having said all of that, I think there is also another part of our psychology that, like you said at the beginning, is is we understand that this is no good anymore. That we, we're looking for spirituality. We're looking for something else. And so much as I think we're so conditioned and our kids with a mobile phone, we're all so addicted and conditioned. I think there is a passing of time now that in the next 10, 20, 30 years, a lot of us will create an in, a new intense meaning internally in our minds and our hearts to say it's enough. And that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm working so hard for, Frankie, is, is to support people who wish to work with me and wish to explore their own sense of self to say, hold on, I, I, it's okay for me to have my new BMW, but it's also very, very important for me to eat the right things or for me to, to be the right way and for me to be part of nature. And most of all, mate, with all of this, is it's okay for me to love myself. Mm. It's okay for me to know I'm a miracle of evolution. I mean, you are the most magnificent thing on planet Earth. We, there's no computer that can compete with you. There's nothing in the natural world that has your, your neurological makeup, nothing that has your ability to be able to think and feel like you can so you are uniquely magnificent and people judge themselves so harshly we we never treat anybody as badly as we treat ourselves and so my life's work is to help people to love themselves and realize that they're phenomenal we are all just a miracle so why do we why do we judge ourselves so hard <laughs> <clears throat> because we've created a society where we need to control. We need control. And many years ago, we had a sense of freedom where we had space and time and we had our own farm or we had our own little plot of land. And we were able to, we didn't know that there were any other systems around us. We never left our village. We never left, definitely didn't leave the county or the country, most of us. And so we didn't need to be conditioned in the same way. We didn't have, we didn't know a trainer existed or, a, or salt or sugar existed in our food. We didn't know any of this. And so... Therefore, our conditioning internally was very, very different. And we had more time to meditate and more time to just look at our focus was to look after ourselves and our family. We didn't care about whether we were the best tennis player or we had a different car. Our minds weren't filled with nonsense. And so as the Industrial Revolution was created, and even before that, maybe the Agricultural Revolution, but definitely the Industrial Revolution, we realized in some way that we could have more. And I don't know why this bit happened, 
but we created a greed mm. tapped into a selfishness that was there for a survival instinct. In other words, we used to have a sympathetic system for breathing and a way in which to think to say that my life's important because I need to feed my kids tonight. So I need to work out a way to run away from that saber toothed tiger. And that's what our, our conditioning was built for is to survive. And then we realized somewhere along the line, if we use the same systems and the same thinking, I could get a bigger house next door than mine now. And I can bake a factory in the industrial revolution. And then I could, I could eat better. And, and so slowly we started creating these systems and maybe it came from government and I don't know where it came from, but we created these complicated systems to be able to grow our external world in the way that we wanted to. And I think we tapped into a level of addiction or a level of need that we never had when we were hunters and gatherers. Well, it's, it's probably because now we, we don't have to survive. We're in a world where surviving is so easy that these right. hardwired thoughts and feelings into us need to go somewhere. That's why we have anxiety, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. It was hardwired into us because we had to fear the unknown. We had to fear dark. We had to fear uh, the predator around the corner. We don't fear anything in particular what's going to kill us now. So we fear work on Monday morning. <laughs> like it, right. It's that sort of need to survive, but without having to survive anymore. Well, it, it it's exactly that, that we've we've created this environment, this stimulus. Um of over we're overloaded with our sensory acuity with our stimulation we're overstimulated and our brains aren't built for the modern day they're not built to see thousands of things flashing throughout our brain every day and that causes a lot of stress because our brain has to work so hard that our bodies shut down and get sick and stress kills us more than anything else and so we're living in a very unnatural pattern, a very unnatural way of life. And, and that, that is killing us, literally. And so my message then is that it's so important that we find time for ourselves and we rewire through an intense experience or hopefully not trauma, but we rewire ourselves by through love and through nature and through natural ways of living again, because we're getting sick. And this won't be uh, the last pandemic we see. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're not living healthy. And when we, when our external world is ill, so are we. Yeah, I do completely agree with that. And, and I mean, the population just getting more and more and more. So we're becoming more compact into smaller spaces and smaller areas, which means it spreads even quicker. Um, yeah. no, I, I do. And you see, you see it throughout the animal, the animal world, the animal kingdom. It's one, one disease wipes out near enough for an, an entire species. Um, yeah. we're just lucky. We've, we've not had to face that yet, but, um, tell me about your work in the Amazon. It's like, so, so, how many people do you take over? How often do you go? And and when you're out there, what what do you do? Obviously, I know you live sort of 
at one with nature, but what does that really entail? And 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 how does that help as well in the in the long run? So this summer we took sixteen people, which is an absolute maximum. Um, I, I'd like to this. We're going on September the twenty first this year, and we'll be taking between twelve and sixteen of us. Um, we fly into Quito in Ecuador, and we stay in a wonderful uh, house hotel. Uh, you know, it's an old house. And we have a lovely meal and then we get in transport the next morning and we drive down through what they call the Valley of the Volcanoes, uh, flanked by the Andes. So it's a very beautiful drive and we get down to a spiritual waterfall. We have lunch and we continue through to um, a place called Puyol. Um, and we stay on the edge of the Amazon for the evening. I have a lovely meal down there in a wonderful wooden lodge built by one guy with hammocks. It's really nice. And then we go to a landing strip in the morning. We fly over the canopy of the Amazon down into the forest. Takes us about an hour and a half's flight. And it's the most stunning flight. And we get into the Amazon. It's kind of surreal because one minute you're in civilization, if you like, and the next minute you're in this magical wonderland. And so the first day we spend time with the community and then we the next day we have a um, an opportunity for a shamanic practice, which is a natem ceremony, and people can ingest the the plant ayahuasca, and have an ayahuasca experience with a shaman. And then we visit some wonderful trees and wonderful walks. And day three we go on the canoes and we see the dolphins and the turtles, the pink dolphins, and and we spend time with the community in meditation, and we have a tea ceremony with them where we can share our dreams and they can translate our dreams for us. So we have a, a very rich few days. And then we go to another environment down river, um, a couple of hours down the river where we stay in a natural lodge run by the communities, whereby we just spend three days immersing ourselves into nature. So we swim and spend time on the river, learn about the plants, the medicinal plants, go on night walks, and so we spend six deep days in the in the forest, which is amazing. Then we fly out of the Amazon and we go to a spa in the Andes, a natural spa called Pakalata, where the Incas used to meet. The Inca leaders used to go there and, and bathe. And we spend, that's a bridge between the Amazon and the city. It kind of gives us a, a decompression area to be able to, to deal with the city from spending some time in, in such a natural state. And then we we spend a, a 24 hours there and then we go back to the city and we have a celebration dinner in Quito before we fly home. And some people can go on to the Galapagos Islands or travel around South America. And if 10 days, nine, 10 days has been enough, then we go home from there. And the reason you asked another question, which was the purpose of it. The purpose of it is mainly to enrich our souls. And beyond that, it's about learning from these people and bringing the spiritual learnings back to our way of life and the other piece is there's there's a charitable piece if people are interested so one of the guides runs a wonderful charity that supports the actual people to ensure that they can support their own education and make sure that they keep their land um, because the government's putting some pressure on these indigenous people to give up their lands for oil and farming um, and so we can support them in a small or large way 
providing we choose to financially and emotionally to be able to support them keeping their way of life. So that's the reason why we go. Sounds incredible. And then how do people get a chance to go on this trip with you? So um, if they go to the website, craigoldblatt.com, um, and it's there on the homepage, um, they can either come to our workshops that are here in the UK uh, or get in touch and through the website and the brochures there for our leadership workshops, our personal leadership workshops, and also our Amazon journey. So they just need to visit craigoldblatt.com or they can email me at craig at craigoldblatt.com. Perfect. I'll put all that, um, all the information uh, on the sofas as well. Um, right. I just want to sort of touch on the ayahuasca. So it's something I'd love to do. I, I really, really would. I've never done drugs in my life, never smoked weed, never done coke, never done anything. And obviously that a lot of people would say is is a drug, which it is a drug. It's a minor water and drug. But obviously, it's a natural drug. So for me, that's something what I really would love to try. And I don't see that in the same sort of context as as the drugs I just mentioned. But from like, a, obviously, yourself studying NLP, um, knowing a lot about neuroscience and, and your brain and uh, how that works. There's quite a... Like, what, 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 what does ayahuasca do to your brain in that sense? Because obviously, a lot of people say they feel like it takes them to a, an alternative universe or some people say it opens their eyes to other things. Like in your experience, like how how does that benefit you and, and how does that work with our, our brains? If you... So I don't know how ayahuasca works for our brains. And I, I, I only know that it's a hallucinogenic. And it what I do know is it changes the chemistry in our brain for a period of time. Um, how that happens, I don't know enough about it. Um, I think these days, ayahuasca is very well documented. So I think there's lots of people that have done an awful lot of studies as to what's happening from a chemical perspective and a brainwave perspective while we while we are going through a ceremony with, with ayahuasca. Um, and when I have been in an environment and watching people go through the ayahuasca experience of which I've, I've watched a number of people go through. Um, it is fascinating, the learnings that everybody has. And, you know, some people have an experience that they say is stunningly beautiful. And I've seen a lady um, who has been in the Amazon forest with us who was sat on her bunk, cross-legged all night. And she's meditated from nine in the evening till five in the morning. And she said, all she saw was the beauty of the skies and the stars. She said it was a dream state like no other. And she said it was stunning. There wasn't one element of fear or difficulty. And I have experienced people go through real difficulty with ayahuasca throughout the night where people have had a very difficult experience all of which have said to me the next day that it was profound for them and so you know it's it's something that people have a complete choice when we go to the amazon this summer is some people will choose to take part in the ceremony and some people won't and 
it's people have to think carefully about whether they'd like to enter into that experience. Hmm. Yeah, everyone I've heard who took it, um, not anyone personally to me, but everyone I've, I've sort of looked it up quite a lot, they've all said it's such a life-changing experience. Um, and I think it is a way of obviously connecting more spirituality and, and yeah, to connect more to the indigenous uh, tribes and everything like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. And, um, you know, it, it. it's just, you know, people have amazing experiences. And, and also, you know, for me, the Amazon is its own ayahuasca as well. You know, mm. it's life changing with or without ayahuasca. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, so it would be wonderful. It would be wonderful to come with you, my friend, one day. One day, I definitely will. I, that is, it's a dream of mine. It definitely is. Yeah. Great. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank um, you so much. So I'll, I'll put all your social, all your details on the socials as well. Um, and then obviously I'll, I'll tag you and everything and, and we'll get, get this out the Friday coming. But it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for entertaining the tangent about the meat and vegan diets as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Great to talk to you. You too. Thanks, Greg. Have, have a great evening. Thanks, and you. See you soon, mate. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Two Whiskies and a Cigar. I've really enjoyed making these podcasts for you, and I hope that you enjoy listening to them just as much. If I could just ask one favour, if you could like and follow and even possibly share and comment on whatever media you're listening to this on. I really appreciate it. That just allows me to grow the podcast, book better guests, and in return, you'll be able to listen to better podcasts and better conversations. Thank you so much.